0: A century after Abraham Flexner recommended medical schools be located within a university, a school of thought has emerged in some corners that this may have contributed to the proliferation of medical specialties, and with that, higher costs. You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Michael Prislin. Dr. Prislin is a Professor of Clinical Medicine and Vice Chairman of the Department of Clinical Family Medicine at the University of California, Irvine. He is also Associate Dean of Student Affairs. He is a member of the American Academy of Family Physicians, the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine, the Group on Educational Affairs, and the American Association of Medical Colleges. He received his medical degree from Georgetown University and his bachelor's in biology from the University of California at San Diego. We're so happy to have him joining us from his offices in sunny Irvine, California. Dr. Michael Prislin, welcome to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. It's great to be with you. Well, so if you could give our listeners a little background about, you know, Abraham Flexner and the work you've been doing in this area and some of your writings on the topic as it relates to this interesting idea that perhaps some of his revered work may have led us to specialties and higher costs, which are key in discussing today's healthcare system.
1: Well, Abraham Flexner, I think, at least symbolizes a profound change in American medical education that occurred about a century ago, right around the turn of the 20th century. And fundamentally, what Flexner did was visit all the American medical schools and analyze the quality of their educational programs at that time. And then he promulgated a particular model of medical education, which had begun in Europe, but then had taken root at Johns Hopkins University in Harvard in the late 19th, very early 20th century. And there were several tenets to Flexner's recommendations. First, that all medical schools be associated with universities. Second, that there be strict criteria for selecting medical students. And third, that the curriculum include a very strong emphasis on the basic biological sciences combined with practical training in the fundamental clinical disciplines. The consequence of, and Flexner wasn't alone um, in these thoughts. There were a number of very strong opinion leaders in medicine that were pushing for change, but Flexner's report seemed to catalyze a very dramatic change in the, the nature of American medical education. Within 20 years of the release of his report, much of his recommendations had come to fruit, and in fact, medical schools became located in universities, and the admissions criteria changed, and the whole nature of the curriculum changed. My interest in this area is sort of along the lines of thinking about unintended consequences because there were several things that subsequently happened that really propelled where we see American medicine today. And you can think of Flexner's changes as really setting the stage for this. For example, he really felt that medicine should be enlightened by research and uh, emphasize that in the development of the new model of the medical school. It wasn't really until the NIH came to be, um, and then we saw the explosive increase in funding that occurred in the NIH through the mid-part of the 20th century. However, that research took the predominant role in medical schools that we see today. Flexner also recommended that the clinical faculty in medical schools, the physicians' Really emphasize areas of special expertise and set up small consulting practices. That really set the stage for specialization, but those were relatively small in nature until we saw public funding for healthcare which emerged in the 1960s and the tremendous growth in the economic engine of clinical care that's delivered today in academic medical centers. So you can think of Flexner as setting the stage and then really public funding of research and patient care as being the driving forces that shape the current healthcare environment. One of the things that happened, obviously, as they increased funding and patient care became more economically important within academic medical centers, the training programs sort of followed suit, and that's at the point in time when we really began to see the proliferation of the specialties that we recognize today. If you were to go back to the 1970s and look at orthopedic surgery, for example, you would see that there were orthopedic surgeons, and that's what they were. They were orthopedic surgeons today. If you look at orthopedic surgery, you've got spine surgeons, you've got hand surgeons, you've got joint replacement, you've got orthopedic oncology. And so basically what's happened, even within a surgical discipline, you see that there's been tremendous specialization and then subspecialization.
0: Do you think that any of this research is being used today? I know that there are Uh, in certain parts of the country, they're talking about new medical schools, Arizona and places like that. Have there been any medical schools look back and change their curriculum based on any of the work that has been done that basically says, hey, you know what, maybe this doesn't apply today?
1: I don't think it's so much that it doesn't apply. I think what many thoughtful people see today is that there is a significant imbalance in the distribution of physicians that are being trained and that the American public would be better served if there was a greater balance between the generalist or primary care disciplines and the specialist. Clearly, what the specialists bring to our healthcare care system are tremendous advances, but not everybody needs a specialist for all of their problems and, um, and in fact, the majority of health care can be delivered very effectively by the primary care disciplines and perhaps in a more efficient and price-conscious manner. So there's a number of medical schools that have opened over the last several years that really um, have tried to focus their mission more on emphasizing primary care. You know, an example of a relatively recent medical school might be Florida State University, for example, which has begun with a very strong primary care mission. There's a medical school being developed in Pennsylvania at the present time that similarly has a strong primary care mission, among others. And there's a number of schools that have, for the last several years, really, really, really emphasized that. But the balance clearly, really, since the... (laughs) demise of the Clinton health care plan, the balance has swung again. The pendulum has swung strongly toward training of specialists.
0: If you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to Reach MD Radio on XM 160. I'm Bruce Japson, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Michael Prislin, who's a professor of clinical medicine and vice chairman of the Department of Clinical Family Medicine University of California, Irvine, and we're talking about Abraham Flexner. He recommended a century ago that medical schools be located within a university. Dr. Prislin is talking to us about how maybe some of the recommendations that Flexner had contributed to the proliferation of medical specialties and higher costs. You brought up an interesting point just now about how Clinton healthcare reform, I remember going to a meeting with the Association of American Medical Colleges where she addressed the group and said, hey, you guys are training way too many specialists, and now you're talking about how we're doing that again. Publishing works on Flexner, that's good to get out there to people, isn't it? Because we are still training too many specialists.
1: Yeah, I think so. Obviously, some might say that I'm biased since I'm in a primary care discipline. But again, I think if you look at virtually every country that has developed a relatively well-organized health care system, you see a reasonable balance between primary care and specialty physicians. And in this country, at the present time, we don't have that.
0: But you brought up these medical schools that are focusing clearly on primary care are they by chance locating them away from the university setting? Are they looking at training people actually out in primary care areas? I mean, is there any talk of that?
1: No, not really. The Commonwealth School in Pennsylvania is not clearly based in a university setting. One of the powerful influences of the Flexner Report was the development of the transformation of what had been the Council for Medical Education, the Committee for Medical Education, the AMA became the Liaison Committee for Medical Education, Mm -hmm. which is the accrediting body. It's not an absolute, but it's a near-absolute accrediting standard that the medical school be affiliated directly with the university. Even in the LCME today, there is room for some innovation, and so that, you know, that physical proximity, the closeness that link is with the Commonwealth School, for example, is perhaps being stretched a bit, and there's certainly a number of schools that, while being university entities, have really focused developing their training programs in community settings rather than having an academic medical center.
0: Can you give me an example of how that works?
1: A great example of that would be Wright State University. And Wright State has been around for quite a while. When they developed the medical school, they consciously chose not to build a university hospital, but rather take advantage of the hospitals that were already located in their community and Mm -hmm. develop affiliation relations with them. And the consequence has been that they have directed a lot of their training toward placing students in community settings. And it actually has been very positive. That Wright State historically has been one of the schools that leads the country in the production of primary care physicians.
0: Well, that's an interesting point because a lot of people, when they talk about high-costs In teaching settings and so forth, and if you go back to what we originally talked about with Flexner recommending medical schools being located within a university, where are some of our higher costs? And it's no secret that Boston has a lot of high costs, and my guess is they're educating in more specialists than primary care, New York, and some of these urban settings. Does that kind of flow with what you're getting at?
1: Well, it's complicated in the sense that (laughs) that if you think about those schools, I mean, I think there's two things that really stand out about the care that's provided in academic medical centers. First of all, they tend often to be the court of last resort. So the particularly complicated patients, those that really require high-intensity services often end up in academic medical centers, and it's not surprising that that is going to result in more costly care. The second thing is the academic medical centers are a quarter of resort in another way in that often patients who do not have access to any other available care will end up at academic medical centers. So there is probably a disproportionate share of patients who are uninsured or underinsured who receive their care in academic medical centers, and that? produces I think an inherent difficulty in that they somehow have to balance their budget too and so you see some cross subsidization of care that occurs in academic medical centers maybe more so than other places. I think the final point is is that academic medical centers are also the places where not only our students but our residents and fellows are trained. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and that results in perhaps some level of inefficiency that increases the cost of care as well. So, academic medical centers, yeah, they do provide very expensive care, and perhaps, you know, some of that is a little bit beyond where it needs to be, but there's a lot of reasons why the care in academic medical centers might be more expensive than in other locations.
0: Let's just say there is no health care reform bill or legislation. Couldn't there be efforts, and maybe you could cite one, that would go on to move away from this specialist craze because there clearly are going to be opportunities for primary care doctors out there in the job market?
1: Well, yeah, I think there'll be opportunities, but here's the problem. In a nutshell, the system, the way it's currently structured, rewards physicians for providing services of any sort. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the more complicated the service, the more sophisticated the the service, the higher the reward. So the financial incentives within the system really you know, drive the system toward specialized, high-intensity care. And I think until the financial incentives change, it's a difficult proposition to see the workforce change. It's an expensive proposition to go to medical school these days. If you look and see how physicians are reimbursed, there's quite a difference between the level of reimbursement that you see for a primary care physician as compared for a specialist. And if you've got the economics of a delivery system that, you know, continue to reinforce that, it's difficult to see meaningful change. I think the difficulty we have and the dilemma and and why I hope there will be health care reform of some sort is because I think we're in a non-sustainable system. I mean, it's, you know, one can only expect that the number of uninsured patients are going to continue to increase. Even those that have insurance, that their insurance will become less and less adequate in terms of covering the expenses. And for American industry, the costs of attempting to insure their employees will become more and more problematic. And so I think we're in a system that's clearly unsustainable. It's just a question of developing the political will to make some decisions to change it.
0: Well, with that, I would like to thank Dr. Michael Prislin of the Department of Family Medicine at the University of California, Irvine. He's been our guest, and we've been talking about some of the things we are sowing because of Abraham Flexner's legacy and his report and his suggestions on how medical education should be done. There are an overabundance of specialties, and that can lead to higher costs. And that is definitely something that's being addressed in Washington with healthcare reform. I'm Bruce Japson. I've been your host, and you've been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on the air. Please check us out at ReachMD.com. And I'd like to thank you today for listening.